Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by BJ McDonald, director of Studio 666. You, what's up? Not much. It's very cool to have you here. I was looking forward to this movie. As soon as I saw the poster, I almost thought, is this a real movie? Or is this like a, a people, or like a joke? I was like, oh, man, this is real. A lot of people thought that. It's, it's kind of hilarious. Everybody's like, is this real? Is this, or is this just like some like weird little internet thing? And it was really hard to not talk about it because we had to sign NDAs. And the, the, the amount of time that went on from like when we started the movie to when it finally got like announced was almost like two years. You know? Oh, like, really? Yeah. So we had to keep everything kind of like hush hush. And, you know, it's kind of funny to watch people do that. And they're like, is this, it gets, a lot of people did that. Is this real? Is this really what's happening? So, yeah, your reaction is legit. <laughs> we'll talk about that, though. So when does it when do you first hear about it? Are you involved right away or like when do you get involved? No, I got involved um, like uh, with two of my producer buddies that so I were I worked with Dave on the run music video for the Foo Fighters run music video. And, uh, you know, I did a bunch of Slayer music videos and I know Dave had seen those. Well, Dave came up with this idea while they were recording Medicine at Midnight to make a movie like he's like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to make a movie. Um, so he had this, he had his basic idea and he went to Jim Rota and John Ramsey, who were the producers that I've worked with before in the past. And like, we, we've come up with some pitch ideas and trying to get some things off the ground. They're like, Oh dude, send it to BJ and like, see what, you know, he's all about like, you know, horror films and like genre films and things like that. Cause I, I work a lot in that. So Dave sent it over to me and I looked at it and I basically like saw what he wanted to do. And I created like a lookbook of like certain things that we could change or like add to the script just to give a little bit more like depth to the house and like what's going on in the world and why it's haunted and things like that. Um, but, and, and then, you know, had a meeting with them, gave him the lookbook. We talked about it we talked about like the directors that we like, the movies we like, the vibe of what we wanted to do, you know, a band movie first and foremost, second, you know, the Foo Fighters, uh, videos are usually pretty funny. So we wanted to keep that for the Foo Fighters fans, but we wanted to go like very gory because not really like many band movies, like that star of the band haven't really done like a real horror kind of movie that has like the fun Jason Voorhees kind of like nightmare on Elm street kind of silly kills that are, that are fun. You kind of root them on and, yeah. and you're not taking it to heart and being like, Oh my God, I'll never get that out of my head. And that was it. And we started pre-pro and, and uh, we were all on the same page, you know, with, and we knew a bunch of people already together, like Tony Gardner, who, who did all the, um, you know, all the effects in the movie. Cause I used him for like a bunch of like Slayer things. He's a good friend of mine. Um, it was just, a, it was just a good group of people. So it's more like a family vibe at that place where we can all like talk and like, not be like, Oh, I don't want to make so-and-so mad or that. Like we can actually be like, Oh dude, that sucks. Let's try this. Oh really? Okay. You know? Yeah. It honestly has that vibe. It does feel well. First of all, it feels very fun, and it seems like everyone's having a good time making it. And yeah. I like well, I like all different type of horror, but I do like where the the gore is so over the top. You know, most it's almost like Monty Python, where it's you know yeah. it, you're not going to be like actually a fr- it, you're going to have a good time watching it. Yeah, and that's like bottom line is that's why we made this movie. We made it to have a good time, not to like go like to the movie be like, oh, I'm going to be scared. No, it's like, you're going to laugh and you're going to see complete absurdity when it comes to like the kills and like how things go down. And what's more fun than killing off band members that everybody knows, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hilarious when you do that kind of stuff. So, you know, that was like a main thing that, you know, you nailed it. We we just, you know, we wanted to have fun with this. We wanted people to go to the theater and have fun with it. We really just kind of want to make this more of like a cult classic kind of like sit around with your buddies with some hot wings and and a bucket of ice cold beers and turn it on and just have a good time at like a barbecue and laugh. That's really I, what we were going for. I was really glad I got to see it in the theater because we had snow here for a while, so I didn't get to see it the first week. And I was like, I hope it's still playing. And I, oh, yeah. I mean, I like to see movie anyway, but however you see it, but in the theater, it's a totally, especially horror movies. 
because it's yeah. fun having the people there with you. It's a blast to have people there with you, and especially if it's a reactive crowd and people are having a good time with it. That's, it just makes the whole experience so much better. You know, that's why I always say if you didn't see it in the theater, you know, and you want to see it on, on VOD or whatever, or like or Blu-ray when it comes out, just like get your friends together, start having some drinks and just have a great time. That's really what the movie is all about. It's, yeah. it's the Foo Fighters, you know, yeah. and and blood and guts. Yeah. So Dave Grohl's apparently he's a big horror f- uh, fan. How about the rest of the band? Were they all as uh, you know into it as he was? They all were. Very, they, everybody was very into it when we were doing the thing. Like they were super stoked about doing the movie, and especially like you know we started shooting before COVID, and then the whole world shut down, so we had to stop shooting. And so I went to my house, and I had a remote. I had a whole remote editing station set up so I could I could edit with the editor. And uh, we, we, you know, we, we basically cut as much as we could together. And then we're like, all right, well, we should show the guys because, it, you know, we knew it would get them pumped up because they thought, I think Dave thought that we were going to get like, like two dudes with handheld cameras and like a guy with a boom mic. And we we're just going to do that. But my whole thing, when I talked to him, I said, it's, this movie has to have the, the, the horror film tone. It has to be shot like a professional movie, even though we didn't have a huge budget. It's like we need to make sure that we, you know, make this look legit, like legit film. Cause we also did never expect it to go to theaters. This was always going to be something we thought was going to go to like Netflix or something yeah. like that. Um, and that was it. So, you know, we, we, he, you know, once he saw, and once the band saw the stuff that we had previously shot when we were on lockdown, they were like, Oh, we got to finish this movie. It's so cool. You know, cause, and they were only seeing stuff that wasn't colored or anything like that. It was just the raw, you know, and no effects were put in or nothing like that. So it was cool. Yeah. So how long have you known the, the band? You know, I did that run video. I, it's funny because I've known their tour manager since I was in high school. And I grew up in a little town, Pensacola, Florida. And there's a guy named Gus Brandt. And when I was out of high school, I played in this punk band called Lick 57. Terrible name. Um, but we had we were fun. Yeah. But Gus would actually book my band to open up for bands that were like on tour. So we like got the opportunity to open up for like Offspring and Pennywise and Sam I Am and the Toadies and total chaos and like bouncing souls and all these cool bands, you know? And, uh, next thing I know, Gus is now becoming tour manager for the Foo Fighters. So he's kind of gone, right? Cut to, I'm doing a movie in Atlanta and the Foo Fighters are there. And, and there's also another guy that Gus employs named Ramel, who's a good friend of ours. So I called him up and I'm like, Hey, we're in Atlanta too. Can you get us some passes? And sure enough, they brought us in. So I got, we got some backstage passes. I got to watch the guys. Didn't get to meet him though. Cause it's, it was very like kind of standoffish. And it's like all this time, like we had like this kind of in with them, like, or like kind of like this, like, you know, what's that? What do they call that? The one degree from so-and-so, whatever it oh, is. Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like one of those kind of deals. And then I ended up my buddy, Brandon Trost, uh, who's a DP friend of mine. Uh, he's like, hey, you know, Dave Grohl wants, wants to do a music video. Can you come in? I was like, yeah, of course. So I came in and met him on the run music video. And then next time I got to really like get to know the guys and get to know Dave and everybody, like when we actually went to pre-production with the movie, that was really when I really got to know the guys and they're just great. Yeah. If people don't know, you mentioned a few times, but you've done a lot of music videos. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've done, I've done a lot of stuff for like, I did Exodus Slayer. Um, I've done one for Steve Vai that's not coming out yet, which is kind of awesome. And it's totally not my wheelhouse. Like I, cause most of the videos I always write and direct, they're always like, kind of have like a storyline to it. Yeah. This is like straight up to Steve Vai rocking this crazy guitar. That's so cool. And he's just doing it all by himself. And the interesting thing is watching, it's like this three neck guitar with a harp on it. And it's like, it's insane. So I, that's all I can really say about it. Cause it's, it's not out yet, but it's like pretty cool. I'm, I'm a big music guy. I'm, I'm really like, that's my, my oh, whole yeah, thing. Me I love too. I'm curious, because uh, I think a lot of people don't think necessarily that videos like, you know, without MTV being big and playing videos, where do the videos go? Primarily on- online now? 
Yeah, I mean, and going back to the Slayer stuff, uh, that was my whole pitch whenever we were we were talking about, like when I met the, the guys over at Nuclear Blast that were putting out the Repentless album, they were Slayer was meeting up. They wanted a horror director to kind of come in and do something. So I didn't have a pitch. I had nothing. They just said, hey, can you come in and talk? Don't worry if you don't have a pitch. We'll, we'll just, you know, we want to feel you out. And that's the same. That, as soon as I got there, I said, look, guys, so MTV is not our thing anymore because MTV would censor the shit out of it. You know, like they really would like they would censor things all the time or, or like, I mean, look at the Danzig video where they split the chicken like they, that caused like all sorts of like crazy controversy or the one video. They trimmed it all down because it was like people were like, oh, my God. Um, but now that the MTV thing's pretty much just reality TV now, you know, YouTube is the is the main platform that you get for music videos. So I said, how about this, guys? Let's make a Slayer video that's a real Slayer video that I don't think they've ever had before. So that's why I wrote the violence and and the the the, the way the the, the uh, video is for Repentless. And it was only a one-off. I wasn't supposed to do the other two and make it a story. And because Repentless was so well-received, um, everybody was like, oh, the band was stoked and, and, and Gerardo at Nuclear Blast was stoked. And like they're like, we got to make a prequel and a sequel. So then I took that one middle video and I had to write a whole storyline around that. Interesting. Yeah, I've thought of doing that because there's a lot of um, short film festivals. We do our own because uh, yeah. I know a lot of independent uh, musicians do really cool videos. Some of them, I don't know, yeah. some type of like a music video festival, I think would be fun, even if it's virtual. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because you can really nowadays you can make sort of a like a narrative with the music videos. My buddy Jason and Pens- like, he lives in, in Pensacola, Florida, and he has a band called Modown. And he keeps he keeps sending me pitches for his band, the music videos. He's really been exploring making his own music videos because he used to work in films too. Now he's he lives in a he lives there and he does like he's like a wedding guy, um, which is funny because he's a total metalhead. But now that he writes his own pitches, he sends me ideas, sends me shots. And I'm like, right on, dude. And he's making narrative music videos. And I think I think the music videos like nowadays kind of lost a little bit of that because now it's like usually like some some dude's playing. It's really fancy looking lights are gleaming up behind them, you yeah. know, like the silhouettes and things, or it's a warehouse. It's, you know, it's cool. If you actually make a storyline, it's, it's, I think it's a, yeah, a it's lot just of stuff fun. I like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, back to studio six, six, six is, uh, are the band, are the characters that they play in the movie, like, uh, anything like them? Are they like caricatures of them? That they're actually, it's exactly how they are. And that's, <laughs> and, and so, uh, Rebecca Hughes and Jeff Buer, the writers, when they got when they got on board, they actually got to spend some time with the guys, and also like Dave and everybody, and and, and the producers kind of told them like their kind of sensibilities and, and and their you know like what they're like, their personalities, and uh, they basically wrote their characters in the script to be legit who they are, and that was another approach I wanted. It's like we you know I didn't want to make a movie where we had the guys from the Foo Fighters that were playing a, a weird version of themselves. Right. I wanted them to play themselves, but they're just caught up in a really bad situation. And so, you know, because everybody knows, like sees Dave Grohl, and they're like, oh, it's Dave. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, but now people get to see, you know, hey, this is Pat and this yeah. is Chris. You know, this is Nate, Rami, you know, and Taylor. Like people now get to see like who these who they are for real, like in the band. So we kept it pretty legit to who they really are. Yeah. And everyone was, you, you'd have already said, and you, the, you see some of the people get killed in the trailer too. So when you said the, you know, the band gets killed, a lot of them in the movie. Was everyone cool with that? Like, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, some of the band's going to get killed in the movie? Yeah, everybody was on board for it because we all knew we were making something really fun. There's one time, like, the, the Taylor kill that we did was way more elaborate. And we had to basically change that because it was, it, it actually went really dark. And I, and I actually really liked it. But I think Taylor got a little, a little nervous about it because in the movie, like, originally what was supposed to happen, like, now we just do a really shocking thing. And I think it's very effective. And I love what we did. 
But in the original script, Taylor plays the drums, he finishes the song, and then there's a painting on the wall that you see behind Dave that has this weird barbed wire stuff on it. And that picture was always supposed to be part of the story because of the barbed wire. So Dave basically grabbed Taylor, shoves him against the wall, and then he crucified Taylor's hands into the wall, like oh, wow. kind of like a Jesus Christ thing. Yeah. And he goes to the painting and pulls the, the barbed wire off and makes him a crown of thorns and basically tortures Taylor. It's like this whole thing. It would have been, been gnarly. And then he basically, then he takes the symbol and, and did what he did with the symbol. But that was the original kill. In, in, oh, that's in awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we had to cut it down. Yeah, I'm probably not alone, but the, the sex scene kill is, is probably my favorite. That's like, so it's very fun. It's also very kind of throwback to like an old Friday the 13th has similar, but it's yeah. much more elaborate. And, and yeah. it's super gory, but super very funny and, and just a fun time. Yeah. And that's the thing. We and my whole thing was I was trying to actually try to I was trying to see if I could beat the amount of blood from Nightmare on Elm Street one when Johnny Depp gets killed. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That was my main goal. I don't think we beat it, but I think we did a damn good job. And I think that we did a killer cane, chainsaw kill. So I'm happy with the way it came out. It's pretty awesome. It's yeah. pretty gnarly. It was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Have you? <laughs> did you get a chance to watch it with an audience? Yeah, I saw it with, at, at the premiere with an audience. It's the first time I ever got that. I didn't even get to see a, a print before we actually released it, you know? So I, the first time I saw it on a big screen was with, at the premiere with, with everybody there. And so yeah. it was a little, it was a little scary because you haven't yeah, seen it projected yet. And like, <laughs> right. you know, every, like there's always something that goes wrong, you know? And so like, there's there actually, to, and in, in this movie, there is some framing things that got messed up when it went to deluxe. So there's some frames that kind of aren't right. Um, but the Blu-ray is going to be completely perfect in like the framing things that we're doing. So like when I was in the theater watching it, there was like moments where I was like, oh my God, you know, because <laughs> nowadays when you're editing and you sit, you hit send, anything can happen in the timeline, you know? And it's like, unless somebody's proof checked it, which, you know, I wish we would have been able to do. I didn't know they were sending it. Um, then little mistakes like that happened. Nothing major, but like, it was kind of a bummer, like seeing a couple little things like yeah. not quite right in the frame. But the, but we rectified that with the Blu-ray and the DVD, so it's all perfect in that. So that's your first time. See, I guess that would it would be a weird experience because you want to you want to like gauge the audience what their what their reaction is, but then you're also actually watching the movie to make sure everything's going well. So I don't know if you can pay attention to everything. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like you know, this movie wasn't a studio movie; it was independent at first, and so I watched this movie so many different ways. We cut it and so many different times. And the one time I didn't get to see the one, like the, the one that went to deluxe to get put through, it was, there was some, some things that just had tweaked themselves a little wrong. And that was kind of a bummer. Um, it, like it could have been worse, but it, you know, it was fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just hard now with like the computers and the way editing is and there's hitting, hitting buttons and hitting send or like somebody's like, importing some effects here like while the editor's over here doing this imports it's just crazy you know it's not like the old days <laughs> i currently do have a movie that's being edited and we're all different i'm in the north on the northeast and the other people are in, on the west coast so i understand to a degree how it's being sent back and forth and looking oh, at rough cuts and it's weird double yeah. check everything like even when you think it's good double check it I, that's my advice double check it so who wasn't, who did the FX? What is it? Somebody you worked with before? Well, which effects? You talking about the blood effects or like the, well, I guess there's different things. Yeah. Uh, the blood effects and someone I worked with before this guy named Tony Gardner, um, who I've known a long time and worked on other movies with. And he's, he did the Slayer video stuff that I did. He also did the Exodus videos. Um, and uh, he's really awesome. And the guy like has done everything. Like, 
like even from Aliens, a little chestburster comes out of the chick. It's on the wall. Like he actually like designed that with Stan Winston Studios when he was like younger. Um, nice. He did the Blob, like the the, movie, the remake oh, of the nice. Blob. The remake. So I, that's of one of the better remakes. People don't talk about that. I, I love the Blob remake. Oh, it's killer! It's yeah. such a good remake, and they did such a good job. And yeah, think about the time when they shot that. That was like what in the eighties, like late eighties. I, I can't remember when that came out. Yeah, but like, it's you know it's practical effects and yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, so he's been around, done a lot of things, and so we were lucky to have him. And he's always just a good dude, you know. And he got to, we basically wrote a lot of the kills around what he wanted to do because we actually asked him like, what, what do, you, you know, you always get a script and it's like, okay, here's the script and this is how this person dies, this is how it is, and then Tony has to go and like create that. This one we were like, well, Tony, now that we have this thing, how like let's figure out like kills that you would like to do. And so he made a list of like the kills that he wanted to do. And that's, that's how we incorporated the kills in the, uh, in the movie. Like we wrote those like, because Tony wanted to do those, especially oh. the chainsaw one. Oh, that's, that's, I think that's pretty awesome. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about the house? Uh, where did you find the house to film it up? So the house is a place that Dave rented, I guess a long time ago uh, when he was remodeling his house. So, and, and the house is like not too far from where Dave lives. So he moved into there and like, you know, when they were remodeling his house. And then I guess at some point they, he liked the acoustics in there. I'm not sure what the whole story is, but they basically moved into the house to record the last album, the medicine at midnight album. So they could kind of be in their own world. And they, you know, he has his own studio and things like that, but I think they were going for a different sound. So that's like when they were sitting there making the medicine at midnight uh, album, I think that he was starting to get the ideas of like what he wanted to do. And like, the cool thing is that, you know, when we were in pre-pro, you know, sometimes sets are being built and you don't know what it's going to look like until like two days before. The great thing about pre-pro is I could walk around the whole house the whole time with the script and look at certain areas and kind of brainstorm like what I wanted to do and like how I wanted to do it and like where things were going to play and set up. So it was a really nice, really cool way to do that whole thing, you know, but it was something that Dave had previously lived in. Then they were recording the album and like literally right when they finished recording the album, they took all the gear out. And we moved all our gear in. It was that fast. Uh, someone had messed. Uh, I had in my notes, but someone, I want to get their name here. Um, I thought it was a good question was, you know, Dave has some uh, background and he's done acting before, but uh, the rest of the band, I don't think have uh, just along those lines, directing, you know, the guys that haven't done a lot of acting. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I think they did a great job, you know, for not being actors. I mean, they've been in front of the camera a lot because of like the music videos and things like that, but it's a whole different beast when you're actually having to like carry a narrative and they have to actually do dialogue and things like that. But the way we kind of went into this was like, we weren't too worried about it being like perfect, like acting because it's supposed to feel like the Beatles. It's really them. So yeah. Yeah. And and we wanted to kind of capture that same feeling. Like we didn't care if they were like, you know, not perfect actors. That was like kind of the beauty of what we were doing because it was the throwback to those old school films. And that's what we really wanted to encapsulate with, with this movie. You know, we weren't trying to like, you know, look, we worked on performances and they had to know like what was no, going on. Yeah. And I don't uh, say this as a negative. I mean, it's this kind of movie's not citizen Kane. So it does, you know, it, yeah. you're supposed to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, not exactly. Really. And that's, and for people that get it, they get it that way. It's like funny. Cause there's sometimes you read critics and things like that. And they're like, Oh my God, the acting. You're like, dude, you don't even get it. So I'm not even going to read the rest of your critique because if you're trying to base it on acting, you don't get the joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. 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 No, I say like, on a show, like I personally like taxi driver and basket case, like yeah. as much as each other, but I know that basket case isn't technically as good as taxi driver, but I enjoy <laughs> well, them I, both the same, you know? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I love basket case. I love both of them. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I picked those two, but I do like there's something about those gritty New York movies from the 70s and, and early 80s that are very cool. 
Yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. There, there is something to be said about those films. That's like, you know, even like some of the stuff in L.A. too. Like when you look at Repo Man and those kind of movies, I love yeah. Repo Man. I think it's so cool. You know, there's there's a there's a weird loss. Like people don't make those kind of movies anymore. Right? There's something that just isn't how it used to be. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the digital look of, of digital cameras Why now. Why do people say that? I think it, you know, it's like there's just something that got lost there, you know, and like, and and it's hard to replicate that same kind of feel. Those movies are so awesome. Yeah, I know. Even like when they restore some of them, like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I saw the original 35 millimeter print, really bad print at a at a theater in Boston, and, and but it was awesome. And then I saw the restored version, and it was so clean, but actually took a lot away from the movie. I think it, it cleaned it up too much. Yeah, and that's the thing. It kind of makes those films scary. Like I always. Even with Studio 666, I put a lot of grain into this because I wanted it to feel like a super 16 millimeter film. I didn't, I didn't want a clean, like, like a, a, I didn't want a clean look. I wanted to make sure, like, you see, like, like on the walls of the where it's white, you feel the busyness of like a, of a film grain. Right. You know, and it's, this, it's, this, there's something to be said about 16 millimeter horror films that there's a texture to those movies that are actually kind of scary that make that movie scary. Um, if you do something that's too clean, I sometimes feel like, unless it's meant to be clean, but like, I think like those throwback to the old school kind of movies like that, when you're adding like the bit of like the 16 mil grain, yeah. I think it adds a lot to it. It's almost like you're not supposed to be watching it. Like it's like yeah. a, like it's like a, not a snuff film, but you know, you're just not supposed to, this is something, you know, you're not supposed to be digging. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. What was it like filming the Jeff Garland fight scene? Oh man, that was hard because so going back to the, pre, the, the pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, the last night of shooting, we, we were like, you know, when, when everyone's starting to get wind of like the world is shutting down, like that kind of thing, we, we all were kind of like, what do we do? What do we do? And it was a night shoot. It was, it, was the, it was the fight scene with Jeff. And in LA, it started raining. It poured rain. And we were like, what, what do we do? And then the producers were like, well, Ken, what do you think? Can you shoot anything? I was like, well, yeah, like I can easily like make a, you know, we can start the scene from the when Nate and them and like going up and we can add some like little CG rain, but then we can cut back to the very final scene and it's actually raining. And it's like, it kind of gives the movie a little bit more production value because yeah. now we have a whole raining scene at the end of the movie. We didn't plan on having, but it was pouring rain. It's really weird too. Cause when you look at Jeff, it's strange because water like did, did not even like, att- it's so weird. Cause like Dave's soaking wet, but <laughs> But but Jeff had like he was like repelled. It's like he was like had rain X on his face. Like he he's not even wet. It's so but it was like pouring rain on his yeah. face. It was crazy. But it was it was hard. So we shot that first. We only got that part. When we came back from the pandemic, we had to shoot all the stuff leading up to that. And so there was like a good amount, good six months that that went by. That we you know we came back. We're like all right, we kind of know what we're doing. Here we go. So you know the stunt guys had it all planned out. We went went. You know it was crazy. And Jeff, Jeff was great. You know, he, he just, he's he great in the movie. I'm always a big fan of his seeing him in uh curb your enthusiasm or whatever. So I was, I was really happy when he popped up. Cause I, I didn't know, you know, a lot about the movie. I just knew it was this horror movie with the Foo Fighters. And I was like, I gotta go see this. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We lucked out too with a lot of the cast. I mean, like even Jenna Ortega getting her in there. Like, yeah, it's a great so cast. There's a lot of like a little surprise people that pop up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the kind of beauty of having like Dave knows all these people over here and I knew all these people over here. And we all just kind of called up friends and said, hey, can you come in and do like one night or two nights and do this or that? That's kind of like how we that's kind of how we got the cast put together, you know, like going back to the Slayer thing, like crude. That's Carrie King. So I called Carrie. I was like, dude, can you be in the movie? You won't have to be here long, like maybe two days and you get to be, you know, fried and you get to float (laughs) and be a ghost. He's like, oh, yeah, man, I'm there. So it was kind of bad. 
Yeah, that's a really fun character. And when I'm watching some of the dialogue with them, I assume there's like there's probably some in jokes, like just or at least like some uh, ideas of what those kind of people are like, like in reality and how how they, they look at the band and stuff. But it was very fun. Uh, yeah, like the cranky roadie guy that's just yeah, like yeah. tired of doing all this stuff and just doesn't give me glory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to be King playing that news like from Slayer. Yeah, yeah, it's very <laughs> fun. Yeah, the whole thing is very fun. I was yeah. in LA 2019, right before the pandemic, and it rained. And I remember, I, to me, it's not a big deal, but everyone there was freaking out, like it was the end of the world. Oh, people can't drive. You like, you like, as soon as it starts raining in LA, it's like just stay home. <laughs> I, I do remember though, at the Hollywood Boulevard. It was so slippery, and my friend I was staying with, Michael, he was like, "That's because it's so dirty that all the oil rises up." And I thought he's joking, but it was it was true. No. It's like an oil slick on the. Oh yeah, people and people drive like maniacs too, and it rains. They don't even like take in consideration. That's why you see so many wrecks. I'm from Florida, like well, I grew up in Florida. I'm born in California, but. I, uh, I learned how to drive in rain and like stick shift and all that stuff. So it's like, I feel like I'm a pro I'm a, I'm a Cali Cali rain pro. <laughs> so which came first? Like, um, did you want to direct movies? Did you want to make videos? Like, uh, you know, which was the first thing? So I grew up, my grandfather was an old actor. And so I used to go to film sets with him and he did like, he was in on the waterfront. He was in oh, nice. uh, show High Chaparral, Abbott and Costello meets Captain Kidd, roused about nice. with Elvis. Like he's an old school dude. His name was Life Erickson. That was my grandfather. So it kind of sparked this interest in like making movies. So when I was growing up in Florida, because he also had a house there, you know, we had a we had the old VHS camera where we had the VHS in the backpack with like a motorcycle battery and the big cables and all that. And me and my friends would make action films, like you know, just doing stupid stuff, like blowing up GI Joes and just making you know, having fun with it. Then I got kind of in the music scene and kind of like left that whole thing. And then, uh, then when that kind of died out, I said, I was like, well, you know, I don't know. There's nothing else that really interests me. Like, I don't want to be a fireman or a doctor. No offense. I mean, it's a great career. You know, everybody's like, Oh, you should go be, do this, that. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I kind of like want to, I want to like pursue like, you know, being in the films. So I moved to LA, went to film school, didn't know what to do. And I became a grip on set. So I learned like set etiquette. And my whole goal was to direct, but then I kind of, got into being really interested in being a camera operator because like what they shoot is what you see as the movie. Mm-hmm. So my path of directing kind of went stale for a second. And I, and I went on a path of being a camera operator, which actually for me was like the most vital, uh, important lessons I could learn being with directors of photography, with the directors, learning how to compose the shots, telling like the emotions through camera movements and things like that. It was like the best film school I could ever have. And then I finally, like, later on, like, got back into, like, all right, now I'm going to try to start directing again and, like, start getting into that, you know. But I love both careers. Like, I like directing. And it's awesome. But I also love being a camera operator. It's, like, probably the two best jobs on set. It's just directing. You have way more. You have to be committed way longer on that, you know. Right. When I'm camera operating, I, at the end of the day, I just can be like, all right, see you guys later. And I take <laughs> off on a plane and I go to the next job. Do you do the camera when you're directing? No, I've done it before and I realize that I can't concentrate on like the performance. I only con- like once I, I start doing the camera stuff, I only can concentrate on the framing. Um, and I kind of let the actors like, unfortunately, like I've learned that I, like I don't give the actors the attention that they really need. I feel like, and, and that's why I just hands off on, on the things now. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to get the director of photography, camera operators, you know, the Slayer videos, I did do my own steady cam just because we couldn't afford it. And I did that. But other than that, like now I try to, I try to back away so I can actually really concentrate and not like, you know, try to be, I'm not, I'm not Robert Rodriguez, you know, and that's just not me. Like I like, 
I also like the, the camaraderie of everybody coming together that you trust to like do a job. And cause you actually get good ideas. People throw things, ideas around and you like, Oh, that's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. I mean, that's how you kind of said studio six, six, six worked. You know, everyone had different ideas. Yeah. We threw it. Like, we, we went in with the plan, but it's like, I like it when the camera operators come up and say, Oh, I know we're shooting that, but wouldn't it be cool if we were like over here getting this shot right here. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that would be awesome. And it's like, I find that more enjoyable because everybody feels like they're, they're a part of it. And so like, you know, directing is great. I'm working with the actors doing that, but I also think it's a great thing when everybody's kind of making the film, you know, it's, it's really like a good teamwork situation. And I think you, your product comes out a lot better and people are really enjoying what they're doing when they do that. Yeah. So uh, your first feature was hatchet three, uh, which also they, they actually have a similar vibe to studio six, 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 gory and very fun and, and, and kind of yeah. silly and stuff. So, now, you yeah. did the camera on Hatchet 2. I don't know if you did anything on Hatchet 1, but I assume that's how the directing came about for Hatchet 3? I did. I did. I was the camera operator, steady cam guy on Hatchet 1 and 2. Okay. I did both of them. And, uh, and yeah, so that's that's really how it kind of came about. Yeah, once once part 3 came up, um, I, I you know, talked to Adam, and he was just like, hey, do you want to do this one? And I don't know why. Like, honestly, like I I think that Hatchet 2 got a lot of backlash in the things, and I don't know, like, what what – what Adam's mindset was at that point, but you know, he, he wasn't really interested in directing that. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, cause I also knew the actors. I knew like how things went. I knew the story. I knew what we were going for. So it was kind of just like, instead of bringing somebody else in that hasn't been on the set before, then why not? You know? And, and that was, that was great. You know, it was a good little stepping stone. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to make, I wanted to make Hatchet three a lot darker and I wanted to take the silliness out of it. Uh-huh. That was my, like when we first started talking about, it, I was like, can we go like, let's just like kind of revamp it. Like, let, let's make this scary. And I remember pitching an idea at first because we had done everything in the swamp, but I was like, how about, I said, why wouldn't it be cool if we actually found in the daytime, you find Victor Crowley's body and you put him in a body bag and they bring him back to the police station with all these other bodies. And when the sun goes down, because he reanimates at night that when the sun goes down, he reanimates in the police station. And there's a huge, like almost like Terminator like situation right. in the, in the cop station. That's what I, I wanted to do that so bad. I pitched that idea, but I got shut down. <laughs> well that's unfortunate i like the idea personally it'd have been cool yeah yeah and we wouldn't have been out in the middle of the swamp getting chased by alligators so that there's a plus there too because yeah. my, my hatchet we shot in a real swamp like we were like, that's we shot it at oh the really swamp. yeah the other yeah. ones shot hatchet two we you know there's some daytime exteriors in one and two um in new orleans but it's like we only went there to do like these little you know like a couple exteriors to sell it because most of hatchet one was shot at a place called sable ranch up in simi valley not Simi Valley, uh, Santa Clarita. And then Hatchet 2 was actually shot in Los Angeles, like at a soundstage, and they just had a bunch of plants and they moved them around kind of like kind of like how they did the, that movie The Descent, where they had like they had a bunch of bowlers you could move around and be yeah. like, oh, we're in a part of the cave now. That's kind of how Hatchet 2 came about. And I feel like you could really tell, like it kind of like you were limited to what you could see. Mm-hmm. And whenever I did this, I wanted the look to be different. If I couldn't change the tone of the movie, I wanted to make sure that we could make it a different look. Like, like even like with the aspect ratio is completely different. Like, you know, the, uh, I think one eight five is what hatchet one and two is. And then I made mine two four Oh more cinematic. We have the letterbox. Um, and I, and I use Panavision lenses and like, I really tried to make it more of like a real movie aesthetic, make Victor Crowley look a little bit darker. You know, when the, when the house is on fire, he's lit by firelight, which makes him more menacing and more scary. I and mean, he just doesn't run into like moonlight and go, ah, you know, like it's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. so I, I tried to, my, my take on that, I tried to make that movie a little bit more like darker, you know, but staying with the same kind of like vibe and comedy and cheesiness of the first two. Yeah. I like that sometimes when, um, when especially if a franchise has gone on a while, instead of just, you know, it's the same thing over and over, you know, 
Even Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2, they went the, the reverse route where the first one's very dark and the second one's basically a comedy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty funny. I haven't seen the new one yet. I have to watch that. I've been I, I'm a, I think I'm in the minority. I liked it, but uh, I've seen a lot of hate for it. But it's basically just nonstop death. Uh, <laughs> so if that's what you want, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I've been, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm on location, so I haven't really caught up to much movies yet. I haven't seen X or I haven't seen the new Scream. I haven't seen anything. I've just been so busy with this stuff. So Yeah, I haven't I, seen I, X yet either. I, I would like to see it. I've heard good things. I hear good things. And I like that director. I think Ty West is good. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see that one. And Jenna's in it, so she's great. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Adam Green, that was one of our first guests when we started the show in 2006 um, when The Hatchet was coming out and we were promoting it. We taught we were friends on MySpace, but uh, uh, do you still wow. stay in touch with that? <laughs> you just threw out the MySpace card, right? Yeah. I tried to Tom? log into that recently, but I couldn't figure out. I was just curious if it was still there, but I couldn't figure out how to log into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy is like Tom is your friend. It's like I guess that guy's like a super millionaire now. He's like living on yachts and being badass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you uh, do you still stay in contact with Adam? No, not really. Like we kind of, we kind of, we, we, we kind of went our own separate ways after Hatchet three, you know, just wasn't, we didn't really see eye to eye on some certain things, you know, and it's no offense. It's like he, he has this thing. I, I had my thing. It was just kind of like, we don't really, we don't really keep up. Yeah. So I assume yeah. you're always a horror movie fan. Oh, always. I've always been a horror, like always love horror films. I grew up on horror films. My parents basically didn't like regulate anything that I watched. And I think like at my age, like, there was a certain time, like, I don't know how old you are, but I'm, you know, when I was growing up, when it, back in my day, uh, HBO, like, you know, it was like HBO just first kind of came out. Yeah, so yeah I'm 46. It, it, I think we're similar. We're the same age. Yeah. yeah. So, so I just remember like my parents would always go to their friend's house and they'd leave me and my sister at home and my sister was older. So she would babysit. And as soon as they left me and Christy, my sister would like put on HBO and then it was always like horror films on Fridays or Saturday nights. And it kind of shaped us in a weird way. Like, you know, like watch, like growing up watching like the John Carpenter movies and like, the, you know, all like just, we kind of grew up in that world of like, you know, it's on cable, you can watch it. And no one's like <laughs> telling us it's a bad thing. So, you know, I was obsessed. I mean, this is really sad. I was obsessed with like escape from New York when I was in kindergarten. I love escape from New York. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. You know, I love that movie. That and the thing, you know, the fog, like all that stuff. It's like, I love all those movies. So that's kind of how we grew up. So I've always been a horror fan, but I also like action movies and like, yeah, I mean, I like movies in general, but uh, you know, I like the horror movies, but uh, by the yeah. way, I'm just going to mention real quick, even though they're not paying me, I mentioned a lot. If anyone ever brings up the thing board game is excellent. You can play uh -huh. all the different uh, people and yeah. it, re it really, uh, so you don't know who's the thing or if anyone is the thing, they might be the thing. If you are the thing, you have to yep. try to you tried to uh, sabotage everybody else, and it really while you're playing with a group of people, it really builds like a paranoia amongst everybody. Yeah, yeah, get a little <laughs> dish out, put your little sample of blood. <laughs> thing. Yeah, you can do that actually. And oh, I still, really, did they really have that? <laughs> yeah, it's in, it's in the game. You could do it, and then uh, oh, that's awesome. I always remember this one thing as we were playing, and we and the the three uh, guys we decided to burn the 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 girl. She, uh, a friend of, of ours, because um, we thought we thought she was a thing, so we burned her alive with the flamethrower, and then it found out she wasn't. And I actually, uh, we actually felt guilty afterwards. Like, man, we just burnt this woman alive in the game. In the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, well, we couldn't trust it. Well, that's the scariest thing about the thing. It's like you're doing a movie where, like, one, you're stuck in a place where you can't take off and go running anywhere because you'll freeze to death. Yeah. 
you don't know who's you know the bad guy like you have no clue so it's like it's really like it's like who do you trust you know who do you trust and 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 you can't get away from it you know it's 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 a and actually people go oh what's your favorite horror film and i usually say the thing and people are like oh no it's a sci-fi movie i'm like no man it's like a full-on horror film it's a full yes there's sci-fi but it's really legit a horror film yeah you know a very well done one and it still holds up to this day I, that that argument always kind of annoys me anyway. Like, I don't even know why it matters in the first yeah, right. place. Like, do you like it less if it's sci-fi or horror? But yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say people, same thing with Predator and Alien, but Alien's only sci-fi because it's in space. I mean, it's just a straight up horror movie on a spaceship. Oh, dude. Alien 1 is rad. Aliens, Aliens uh-huh. is still my favorite one. I'm still like, I'm so into that one. And like, nothing's beat that one for me yet. I love Aliens. You know, he, that, that, that one's so good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, and Predator like, 1 and 2 are awesome, too. I mean, those, you know, it's, it's sci-fi, but it's also horror. You know, yeah. It's scary. yeah, I'm fine. It can be either way. But um, yeah. the thing about the thing, too, like when I was a kid, I really liked it just because of the monsters. But as you get older, like there's so much more to the movie. So it's kind of like a perfect horror movie, I think, because it has like every element I like about it. The acting's great. Uh, really good. The feel of it's great. And the wild monsters are awesome. Yeah, it's just a really good script. Like I, I, I thought it's, it's fantastic. I love putting it. I've watched it every, I probably at least once a year. Just put it on. It's like, oh yeah, this movie. Got to, got to get in there and watch it again. Yeah, so and good. I like the big. I like big monsters in a suit. That's cool and all. But like the aliens and alien, the, it's very alien. It's very bizarre and yeah. weird looking. Where it's just there's heads with tentacles and stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. I love it. Yeah, really good. <laughs> um, are you working on anything currently? I'm reading a bunch of scripts for things to direct. I haven't found anything yet. I just got a, a book I'm going to be reading today that we might turn into a movie. Um, so I actually got that today. So I have to start oh, reading cool. that. Uh, but, I, but the movie I'm on right now, I'm working in uh, the Dominican Republic and I'm working on a movie called Niad. And it's, uh, it stars Annette Bening and Jodie Foster. And, oh, nice. Uh, yes. And we have like, eight, we have like a couple more weeks left of this thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, and I'm sitting here at the DR <laughs> in my apartment overlooking a great ocean right now. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on some things. We'll see what comes up. You know, you never know until you're there. I never count on anything until I'm actually there on the set, like working, like you can get so far mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden something happens and it just pulls the plug. So I'm always like, eh, we'll see what we're doing. I don't know if we're going to get this going yet or not, but day one, when you're on there, like, all right, it's real. We're, we're making the movie or making the video or whatever we're doing. Right. Yeah, I understand the very little I've done, and I got excited, you know, but I've learned I learned quick that just because like you think it's happening doesn't necessarily mean it's happening. So. No, I always, I am always like, I always exhale on the last day of shooting and just go, oh god. Then you just go take a vacation for a week and just let it all out, and then come back to it later so you can clear your head. It's a, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool thing, but yeah, I always you're like holding your breath just to get the things made. Yeah, Did, have you ever? Because uh, I'll be honest, this came up. Um, the first movie I produced, which we did right before COVID and it was a bad experience at the time. And I was like, I'm never doing that. I'm, I'm going to quit. And everyone had told me like, that's what everyone says. And then like a couple months later, like, Oh yeah, I want to keep doing this. Was there ever a time like you just thought like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. No, it's not really. It's just like, I used to be obsessed with trying to be just, I, I have to direct, I have to direct, you know, like then I went to the camera operating, but it was always in my head. Like I have to direct, I have to direct. And at the age I am at now, I'm just like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And it's cool because my career as a camera operator has been amazing. And it's like, it's taking me all over the place and I really still enjoy it. 
Um, and do I like directing better? Yeah, of course I do. But there's a whole different thing involved there. There's, there's like so much more of a time commitment when you're directing because just, you know, some people don't realize that, you know, there's pre-pro, then you're actually shooting the movie. And then after that, you know, anyone's made films, then you're sitting there and editing and visual effects and coloring and sound design. And it takes a really long time, you know? Um, and then I've been a camera operator for over 20 years, you know, shooting movies. So, and it's, you know, when you go into like the logistics of it, you're like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I'm not too far away from like getting enough hours for my retirement at some point. And so like, why would I let that kind of go? But also it's like, if there's a directing gig coming up, I'm not going to turn it down, you know, yeah. because I also, I'm in the director's guild. So like, you also get like a retirement there, like if you do a certain amount of movies. So hopefully, hopefully I'll get both, but you know, I'm trying to juggle that and <laughs> yeah. maybe be too much of a, a work whore. And, you know, I don't have any friends anymore because I don't see anybody anymore. I'm always like on location. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> I saw former guest uh, Marty Matuas is in uh, Studio oh, Six 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 Caretaker. That was very cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Marty's a great dude. Like we were so happy to have him. You know, and that was like you know we talked about who's going to play the caretaker, and it really came down to like me and Tony were talking, and because our movie didn't have a massive budget, we were like, well, you know, let's see. Like I was kind of throwing around the idea, of like oh, you know, I didn't know Tony. I mean, I didn't know uh, uh, Matuas, you know, Marty at all. I just kind of like. I knew of him, but I was like, well, what if I call Derek Mears and see if he wants to come in? And then, and then Tony was like, well, no, I already have like the head casts and things like that for Marty. So we already have that stuff. It's like, okay. He goes, you should try out Marty. So I talked to Marty and we hit it off really well. And then I was like, okay, yeah, man, you're going to be awesome. And he did. He came in, he was a total pro, super cool dude. And I thought he was right for the part. Yeah. I do think sometimes people think that like, if you're gonna mask or a lot of makeup, like it doesn't matter who they are, but you can, uh, those people that you mentioned, Eric Mears, uh, there's a lot of people like that. Um, there's, there's a presence and stuff about that. You can't just put anyone in a mask. Well, that's the thing. The same thing when you have like, you know, like, like the Annabelle movies I've done where you have the demons and things in the background, you know, Alex Ward, he plays a lot of those things. And Alex is actually one of the members of dream widow in my movie. I brought him in because I've worked with him a bunch and he's like, he's a, he's, he's a creature actor. So there's a certain way that they move. There's a certain way they play the parts because you can, I mean, look, some people just say, oh, no, let's just get some old extra somewhere, or like some background guy. We'll put him in the suit. And a couple of times, we, you know, like it just doesn't work because they don't know how to move. They're like, they're not playing a creature. They show up and go, all right, what am I doing? I'm going to wear this and I'm going to stand in the corner. Okay. No, you need somebody that's going to be like, all right, what's this character all about? You know, what is his, what's his story? What's his backstory? What is he now? Like, what's like, how menacing is he or whatever? Like, it really, it, it makes a lot more sense to have people that are creature actors um, because they just do the, the right thing. And they're, they're great, you know, when you have that. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, so you said the, the physical release. So eventually we'll see, there'll be a Blu-ray? There will be a Blu-ray. I'm hoping to hear when we're going to do the, the commentaries. And like, I'm hoping there, like, there's a great blooper reel that I hope goes on there. And I know that we shot, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff the whole time we did the movie. So curious to see how the behind the scenes was like, I kind of love like what Rob Zombie does with his behind the scenes. He almost makes it like a film school thing. Um, and so like, he'll cut like a four hour, like, like, you know, from pre-pro to production to post-production. So people that are actually interested in making movies get to actually like watch the product, like watch what it really is like to work behind the yeah. scenes. I would love for that to happen with this, but I'm not sure like, you know, what, what's going to be there. I'm pretty sure the blooper reel will be there and we'll, we'll see, but yes, there will be a physical release. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, guests on the show and a lot of just friends of mine are, you know, in, in independent film and almost none of them went to film school and they, 
A lot of them say they listen to commentary tracks or watch the specials on Blu-rays or, or like sort of like what you were saying, um, were on uh, just on sets and learned how to learn how that was their film school. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I tell everybody to go because I went to film school because I had no idea where to start. And I didn't know. I, and I couldn't afford a, a really expensive film school. So I went to Los Angeles City College. For me, because like USC and UCLA and AFI and these, these places, they were so expensive. And I'm coming like I was like a freaking waiter at the Olive Garden like before that. And like, you know, I drove out to California and basically like kind of lived with my grandmother. And I was like, well, I don't know where to go. And, and so Los Angeles City College provided me like $11 a unit or something like that for that they have a film production, like a film course there. So that's where I went. But I learned good, like doing that. I kind of learned like, you know, like movies and like, 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 like the history of the movies. I didn't really learn about like how to make movies. So but until I've actually became a grip on set, which going back to what you were saying of being a crew member, that's where I really gained all the knowledge of like how things worked. And it's, there's a, there's an etiquette you learn. Uh, if you know, when you, when you do that, you, you start to see like, the right protocols or like who's in charge of what, who do you ask for this or that? Cause sometimes I've been on jobs where you get like a director is like, I just graduated AFI and I'm directing this movie. And then they're like rolling wild sound and like everybody's quiet. And then they're going, what's going on? What's happening? Everyone's going, Shh. right. They, they have no idea what we're doing. I've seen that before. Um, so I think, you know, for anybody that's actually interested in going like, or becoming in production, I honestly say, get at your foot in the door, go, go work on a, a film set. And it's not, if some people are like, how do I do that? You just, Go to Atlanta, go to, you know, freaking New York or go to you know, L.A. And there's that's so many- another thing comes up. It's not just L.A. Almost wherever you are, there's probably some type of film community, you know, nearby. Yeah, 100 percent. So you can get your foot in the door and it's like the best film school. And not only that, it's the best film school that you're getting paid to take, not you're right. paying. To- so you're getting paid to actually work on these things and you're learning. That's my yeah. that's like any, any production people like that's my advice to them. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be something big because I've talked to people, uh, you know, that started on a trauma film set, you know, which is you awesome. know, very low budget. And, you know, they went on to do a lot of things. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of trauma. So I'm actually I'm wondering how this next Toxic Avenger is going to be. I am, too. I just had uh, Lloyd was just on again uh, just a couple weeks ago, Lloyd Coffin. And he oh, was talking was, about was it. it was, a lot? That's was, was what I asked. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he, but he was just kidding. But he said, oh, they, they don't care what I think. But but he was looking forward to the, to the movie. So I don't know. I mean, it's a very strange idea that it's a big budget with, um, I forget the actor from, uh, he was a Cyrano. Yeah. Dinklage. Yeah, it's like, it's funny. Like Legendary Pictures putting out Toxic Avenger. I'm like used to them putting out like these massive movies. And then you, and you're like, wait a minute, Toxic Adventure? Which I'm yeah. totally on board for. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, so, I'm very I'm in. interested. Yeah, In yeah. a lot of ways, it's it's before it's time, the original one, because it's a lot about bullying before like people were really you know talking about that. So I don't know. I'm interested. Melvin the Mob Boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do want to ask about the run time of Studio 666, because when I went in, I was concerned. I was like, well, it's like a two-hour movie. Is yeah. that is that right for? But it, it didn't seem long when I'm watching it. But did anyone say that to you? Like, oh, you should make this shorter. Oh well, it, I mean, the thing is, like, when you first make the movie, like we we had like we had like a two hour ten minute runtime when we first assembled the movie. You know, I had to trim it down. We actually did make a ninety minute version of it, but it just it so it was so choppy and so like because of like like you get a script and you have six guys you have to deal with and you have to tell the story and you have to go from point A to point B and there's so many things you got to do. Is it a little bit long? Yeah, it's a little bit long. I'll admit that. You know, I, I, I will say it's a little bit longer runtime. But I always feel like if you're invested in the movie and it does move pretty quick, 
Um, it just depends on how much you're enjoying yourself at the film. You know, some people like that didn't get it or didn't want to like weren't, weren't into it. They were like, oh my God, what's this going to be over? It's a little long, but when we, you know, when we did a couple different variations to see and, you know, this was the best option that we could come up with, like whenever we cut it down to size, because there's a lot of other, there were some other scenes that were cut out and things like that. So, you know, I'm happy with it. You know, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy with the, with the way it is, but yeah, it, if, if I had the option to be able to trim it down, I, I would have, but I, I did try that. That didn't, it didn't, uh, it just didn't, it was too choppy. Yeah, it didn't well, have a flow anymore. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is, um, to me, it had kind of sort of a Tenacious D uh, vibe to it. I'm a big fan of Tenacious D. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I wanted to actually, when we got done shooting, I was like, it'd been kind of rad to do like an Avengers ending with those guys. So like after the yeah, credits. So it's like the universe. Like, <laughs> yeah, like just make it like a weird Avengers thing. I was going to say like, and I, I talked to the guys, like we were too far gone to do it. But I wanted to like, when the credits rolled, the, the screen would come back up and it'd just be sitting there on the book in the daytime at the pool. Cause the last time you see it, it's at the pool, it's sitting on the deck and then you see some feet walk up and they grab it and tilts up the camera tilts up the book. And it would have been tenacious D being like, Oh man, I heard this older band was here and I know what's going on, but look what I just found. You know what I mean? Like, and just kind of ended that way, you yeah. know, just like, you know, just to be like, Oh, it could be a part two. Yeah. I love, yeah. That's me. Oh, but bottom line, those lines, well, uh, any plans to do a sequel or hopes or talks or, you never know how things go. I have ideas for a sequel. If they ever wanted to do it, it'd be, it'd be like, you know, like we would see how that goes. There's also other ideas we were throwing around. Like if we just kept making movies, like go another genre, like make a full on like action film with the Foo Fighters or like make a Gilligan. (laughs) I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You know, I did, I did have an idea of like, you know, how to make studio six, 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 two happen. Um, But that's, that's all up here. I can't, I can't give away my, my story. Of course. But, yeah, it'd be it'd be fun. You know, we'll see how it goes. Like maybe they'll want to do it at some point. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Rob Zombie, and I saw you worked on a lot of Rob Zombie movies. Um, I guess what's he like to work with as a director? I love Rob. You know, like I my whole thing with Rob, and I've, I've t- you know told people before, it's like when you go on a set with Rob. Rob's got a very creative eye, and he's very like visual, and he's he's like more of an artist when it comes to like the framing of things and like how to do stuff. Um, so your your my training as a camera operator it's like you know you usually have to follow a certain line and and you know you do your masters you do your mediums you do your tights blah 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 your inserts but with rob it's kind of cool because you kind of throw the book out and just say all right what are we going to do and you cross the lines as long as the shots are cool you get to be really creative and uh you know it's it's a neat experience because you're just doing stuff that's kind of more artistic you know and rob's really into that and so like i learned a lot working with rob you know like really like like not having to go always traditional like really just breaking the lines and like and like just making it work out in certain ways and so i i love working with him he's like you know for me he's just you know visually he's fantastic uh were you around a lot of the crew um you know because he has like a lot of the same players in a lot of his movies you know bill mosley sid haig yeah uh, were you around a lot of those guys sherry oh, sherry obviously oh, yeah i did i did devil's rejects i was on that um you know halloween one halloween two you know and 31 he always kind of keeps the same people coming in and out, you know. My wife did uh, actual. Uh, uh, what's what's the sequel to? Um, what's the sequel I'm thinking about? I can't remember the name of it. He just did it. Uh, oh, um, not the three from hell. Three from hell. My wife worked on that, and so you know that was that was a bummer. Kind of seeing like what happened to Sid Haig, you know. Yeah, we, it was we, very sad. He was like, you know, it was kind of his last thing, and 
he was such a sweetheart. You know, the first time I met him, I was out in the desert and we were shooting all that stuff in the motel on Devil's Rejects and there was a craft service setting set up. And I walked up to the craft service table and I saw this big hand come in. I looked over and it was Sid and he was in the full clown makeup. He's like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, hey, man, what's up? He was like kind of kind of kind of trippy. So I had seen House of a Thousand Corpses before. And then like my first introduction with Sid was that moment. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Sid's, he was the very first guest on the show, which was intimidating, but he was a super nice guy and it made it very easy. But I was, you know, it's like my first interview with Sid Haig is on the show. But I thought I always thought it was very cool that he agreed to do it. This was before podcasts were a thing. And he's like, yeah, I'll do the show. And yeah, it worked out. And I've met him a bunch of times, had dinner with very nice guy. He's super nice, you know, uh, and, and he came out on Hatchet 3. You know, we had him on that. And, you know, it's kind of weird you see that. And you're like, we made him play this, like, horrible racist. <laughs> just like, <laughs> and he's just, oh, it was funny. But I love that guy. I and mean, it's, it's it's a shame he's gone. But, it all you know, that's life. Yeah. Um, uh, people that knew him well, like, on the convention seat, you know, it wasn't a secret that, you know, things were, were going down. And he didn't look good. But he – uh. From what I understand, he kept doing the conventions because he wanted, you know, everyone to get to meet him, you know, while they could. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would see him. I don't, I don't go to a lot of conventions, but a couple of the one I would go, he was always there. And I'd be like, yeah. hey, what's up, Sid? You know, he's he's super cool. Yeah. Oh, and some I always cool. liked, he kept his prices uh, 10 bucks, where some right. people started going way, way high, especially uh, like when The Walking Dead was really big and stuff. And he kept oh, yeah. it, you know, $10. And yeah. Was, uh, I like that. Yeah. I, I like that too. It's like, just be a real person. You know, you don't price gouge people just because you were in a couple movies, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, what are your favorite horror movies currently? Man, like current currently? I mean, geez, I, I, the thing is I haven't watched anything really in a long time. I, I loved, um, ready or not. Okay. I did too. I, that was a really surprising one. I, I kind of see everything and I went into it like, I don't know, whatever, but, that was awesome. And the ending is like so unexpected and really made the movie. I thought it was awesome. I actually really enjoyed Freaky. You know, I like, haven't seen that, but people, I, I see people who uh, say it's good, so I should watch it. I cracked up with that. You know, I thought those were really good. Happy Death Day one and two, I enjoyed. That's another one uh, I'm surprised. They're, they're a lot of fun. I like Chris Landon. Um, yeah, I mean, lately, jeez, I, I mean, I've seen, the thing is, I've seen so many horror things. And because Netflix and Amazon and yeah. Hulu and all these things, there's so many options that sometimes I feel like I forget the movies I've seen half the time. Or like back in the day when we were growing up, you had a certain amount of movies that were coming out, you know? Yeah. Now it's like, wait, what's on Netflix? Oh my God, there's like tons of, I don't even know what that is. And it's kind yeah, of- Sometimes of it's weird if you have so many choices, it makes it hard to even watch anything. You just keep like scrolling through them and then you don't end up watching anything. <laughs> Yeah, and like me and my wife will sit there and we'll scroll and scroll and scroll and then we usually end up finding something we're like, why did we watch that, you know? I think like the last like really exciting thing for me like horror movie wise it was came out of left field and like I had no idea what it was with Cabin in the Woods. Like cause I didn't know anything oh, yeah. about I didn't know anything about Cabin in the Woods. I just remember seeing the poster art and I was like, oh, I'm going to see this movie. It's going to be awesome. So I didn't know that what it was going to turn into the movie that it turned into and I was blown away by it. And that's the kind of thing I love that kind of stuff. So that was like right. For me, I thought that was such a really great horror film, you know? Yeah, I went to see it with my brother, and we were the same way. We didn't, you know, just whatever. It's a horror movie, but, yeah, it's, like, totally what you're not. And the more of a horror fan you are, I think the more you'll appreciate, you know, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, I love it, dude. It's so it's such a rad movie. That's, like, it kind of reminded me, like, in a weird way, like, when they had the 13, like, 13 Ghosts, where they had the yeah. 
with the house with all the windows and like the ghost like is i love that stuff i love yeah. those movies yeah and i really like just like the the two guys that were in the office i thought that they were pretty right. funny yeah dude the merman situation the merman thing was so great he's like oh no the thing's all like it <laughs> like coming like coming at him because <laughs> he's like he's yeah. like back on the merman it was so good yeah really original that's like it really was, awesome it was movie. great i loved yeah. it uh, so where can people follow Studio 666 to see, uh, you know, what comes next? You mean like social media stuff? Yeah. So, you know, oh. they can see when it's going to start. When it, is it streaming now? It's on. It's streaming. Well, it's on VOD right now. Okay. And, uh, and it's still, I think it's, it's in some theaters still. Um, you know, you can follow the Foo Fighters page. There's actually a Studio 666 Instagram page and, and Twitter page and all that stuff. You know, I post behind the scenes stuff every now and then. So, you know, it's just if you want, want to see like pictures or other films that I've worked on, my Instagram is just my name, BJ McDonald. And that's it. Like, like I have Annabelle. I got all, all, all sorts of stuff, like from a camera operator perspective, too. But also, you know, a lot of Studio 666 stuff and like the Slayer stuff and things like that. So. Yeah, I mean, like, Foo Fighters, that page, me, you know, a couple of the other people, like, you can follow Tony Gardner, who's awesome, you know, he, he puts a lot of great stuff out because he's done so many horror films and, like, yeah. his special effects. It's all over. Yeah, it's not hard to find. No. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The stage girls, the Foo Fighters, they're all over yeah, the Yeah, place. I heard of that guy. <laughs> yeah, and Studio 66, by the way, it's a great name, too. It used to be called Spooky Movie, that's the working title. Oh, really? But we knew Studio that was... Studio 666, much better. Yeah, that we knew that we weren't going to call the movie studios. I mean, we weren't going to call the movie spooky movie, but that was just something we had to we had to have a title to start shooting. And so, like all the slate and stuff, they spooky movie on it. And we we're like, well, there's already a scary movie, so we can't. Do yeah, that. that's what I that's what I envisioned in my head, like a scary movie kind of yeah. spoof thing. But yeah, I'm glad you went with Studio Six Six Six. Oh, oh yeah. I do want to mention the shirts are coming out. Um, I forget the company. It's, uh, Fright Rag. Fright Rags. They look great. I was going to order one for the interview, but I, I'll still order one. But I wouldn't have it in time for the interview. Yeah. But, they're really sweet. I was stoked when Fry Rags did the shirts. I was like, that's so cool. It's like, you sit there and you go, okay, cool, man. They're like, the movie's legit. Yeah. Fry Rags putting out the, the shirt. So I'm like, I was pumped about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. The very fun logo. Uh, check it out. Yeah. It's been very fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. awesome. All right. Let's do this again sometime. Let's get another movie going. We'll do it. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, man. Yeah.